us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size. Catches thieves just like flies. Who are you, Michael Buble? <laughs> uh, I, uh, that or it's William Shatner. In any case, it's the last comic shop. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson, and we are talking about Spider-Man. And I am joined by my two co-hosts, Jay Scott and Chad Smith, one of which is also a major Spider-Man fan, like me. The other one kept on saying that Silver Surfer would just beat him up in a fight like we didn't already know that. Come on, 13-year-old J.A., why did you have to burst our bubble? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) As we'll see later on in this episode, mild spoilers, he could take down Silver Surfer's biggest bad and swing it back into space. That's right. It happens in today's book. And for all of those panel pals that may have been going out to go see the new Spider-Man movie in the movie theaters uh, across the Spider-Verse, we've got that movie review for you later on today's program. But first, we're going to give you a comic book that you or maybe your parents or grandparents or, I don't know, people on the street that you're like, yeah, go to a comic book shop and go pick this up. They're all going to enjoy it. Because it's an awesome book, I feel, for all ages. It is called Spider-Man Miles Morales. No. It's called Spider-Man Double. No, no it's not. Oh, what is it called then? It's Peter Parker and Miles Morales understood colon Spider-Man colon Double Trouble. Oh, okay. Well, Chad, in the end, in, in, who who did this particular project? It's a four-issue miniseries that started coming out towards the tail end of 2022 and just wrapped up earlier this year. It was written by Mariko Tamaki and Vita Ayala, which we're familiar with Mariko T- Tamaki from... Uh, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me, one of our shows from last year. And uh, Vita Ayala, we you find folks out there, may or may not remember, wrote The Labors of Magic. And not only that, but then we've got some uh, an artist that was also highlighted in the past episode of The Last Comic Shop, right? That's right. Guri Huru, the artist team that was responsible for one of my favorite books, Superman, Superman Smashes the Clan. Yeah. All of those episodes available out on lastcomicshoppodcast.com. You can check out all of those reviews, but we hope you stick around for this review. And to start us off with that review, we've got the 10 cent synopsis as always and that comes from j.a scott so j.a what happens in these four issues of uh double trouble well it's lots of trouble (laughs) doubly so uh miles morales teams up with peter parker or peter parker teams up with miles morales for bring your sidekick to work day though miles morales is nobody's sidekick (laughs) that is true They then go swinging around the city and land in Peter Parker's warehouse in Gowanus because it's rent controlled. And that's where Peter Parker keeps all the evil stuff. Miles Morales opens some portal into this dark dimension and these beanie baby things jump out and they have to round them up. (laughs) I thought they were tribbles. uh, Yeah, they were something. Colorful tribbles with massive mouths. If if Tribble and Pac-Man mated. (laughs) And then Mysterio shows up and sucks Miles Morales into this interdimensional milkshake container and takes him to Villain Con, which is a comic con for villains, uh, to show him off as like a part of his show and tell section. And then all the villains try to attack Miles Morales. Peter Parker tries to help out. Thanos shows up because he's the keynote. And uh, <laughs> it's it's four issues of uh, very kid-friendly, very f- Spider-Man-y. So worth noting that Spider-Man Double Trouble, it's not set in your standard MCU. I, I like to think of this as one of those things that bridges the gap between the super kitty books that you might find from those Marvel age imprints mm-hmm. to the, the standard, you know, aimed at teenagers Spider-Man book. This is a little bit more kid-friendly. We're, we're living in a universe here where Spider-Man and Venom are roommates. This is actually the second Double Trouble miniseries Spider-Man and Venom were in. The first one was Spider-Man Venom Double Trouble, uh, which had the unfortunate uh, timing to come out right around December of 2020. And so that one got a little bit buried. 
but uh, it's definitely like a, a cartoony flair and style. It's not so kitty that it's like the Spider-Man cartoon with Spider-Gwen and Miles, you know, and Webby, but it's it's definitely more of an all-ages flavor than you're going to get out of your standard Spider-Man book. Yeah. And I will say that I, I I really love that approach. As somebody that has gone on this program before and said, I love me an all-ages book, I'll say it again. That is my bread and butter. That's what I was raised on. I was not raised on, you know, certain comic books for, you know, adults and then other comic books for kids. You wrote a comic book and, and hopes that, like, anybody from 6 to 60 could pick this up. And I find this particular four-issue arc completely and utterly charming. This is not written down to kids, nor is it, like, too, you know, immature that an adult can't find humor and, and wonderful just reasons to smile the entire time. I mean, my favorite part of this entire book is what they do with Thanos. I mean, Thanos is the big bad, one of the biggest bads of the Marvel Universe. And here he shows up at VillainCon and boy, he's a heck of a keynote speaker. Uh, <laughs> every All this other supervillains are all in awe of him, wanting to like you know, take his picture with him and everything. And there's this wonderful part where he's being walked around by a, a quote unquote, like personal assistant an AIM like crony. And at one point he just asks Thanos if he wants a bottle of water because, you know, fighting yeah. might uh, dehydrate. He hasn't hydrated. <laughs> and, and Thanos thinks it's so thoughtful. And he signs like a an autograph picture and says, "Keep doing that great job, kid." I was smiling ear to ear this entire time. I mean, what did you think, J.A.? I mean, I think you need to be in the right mindset going in, knowing what you're getting into. Because if you're in a grumpy mood or you're ready for some dark, heavy comic booking, this is not it, and it, you'll just get angry at it. It's cotton candy esque flavoring that being said if you're in a good mood uh and you're ready for it it is quite charming and fun so i read half of the book yesterday and i was not feeling it because (laughs) mainly i was ready for something a little bit more with a little bit more teeth i guess were you more lego batman was like darkness (laughs) dead parents super rich so i guess that makes it better Uh, well, today I read the, the final bit of it and I was much more, oh, this is quite nice and fun. And I was laughing at all the all the gags when the villains are all chasing after Miles Morales and they've got him cornered, but they're coming from two different directions on a street. So he just disappears at the corner and they you run into each other. I thought that was classic Three Stooges-esque. Yeah, it was fun. I think you need to be in the right mindset and it helps knowing what you're getting into because when i first started reading it i didn't have any idea what this was i almost sent a message saying is this the book we're meant to be reading and why are we reading it <laughs> well chad why are we reading it why why there, there's a good reason for books like this heck yeah i know i enjoyed the heck out of this why are we reading this why is this a, such a great book like i was saying earlier this is one of those great Fill in the gap books that so many kids are going to go out and see across the Spider-Verse and want to get in and read comics. This is one of those comics you can hand one of those little kids. You know, somebody that wants a little bit more than those Disney Adventures cartoons, but isn't quite ready for the heavier lifting stuff. But for me, as a grown-up, I love this because uh, there's all sorts of fun little sight gags and things about conventions. And like, I used to work conventions. And the, the second issue in this is just my absolute favorite, where you see all these different people dressed up. You see, you know, all the different Lokis and people of all different body types and shapes, you know, being super scrolls and then there's Sandman shirts. And there's a guy in a giant uh, onslaught costume and little kids dressed up like Nebula or tugging on Mysterio's cape and it's so much fun. And then two, when, when Thanos gets there and of course there's a fight scene that ensues and he blasts and he ends up hitting Sandman in the shoulder and Sandman's like, I got hit in the shoulder by Thanos. How cool is that? <laughs> like that whole Comic-Con culture. And it's, there's so many little things in here. You see the green goblin and hobgoblin cosplayers walking down the hallway, talking to each other. And they, just like the old school costumes, one has a giant H on it, so you know it's Hobgoblin, and one has a giant G on it, so you know it's Green Goblin. 
But it, there's just so many little fun notes. And as anyone who's ever worked at conventions knows, that trick with the bottle of water, like, that's how you make friends at, connect, at conventions. If you want to get in with somebody, you come around with food, bottles of water, because these people have just been stranded at their tables, you know, for days at a time. Those small acts of kindness go a long way. But I, I couldn't help but laugh, you know, when you were talking about that scene with the AIM, the AIM soldier, and, you know, it was such a big deal. He gets this picture. Oh, it made his day. They have that spirit that comic books used to have, where they're, they're not afraid to laugh at themselves, and they're not afraid to be a little ham-fisted, and the whole plot contrivance with, oh, there's this thing that teleports people out of the way, and, like, you know, none of it takes itself too seriously. It never forgets to have fun. And the interplay between Spider-Man and Miles, Spider-Man and Spider-Man, I should say, like, just all of it is a joy. And it's never too serious. It, it knows what it is, and it, it just lives in it. Yeah. We're talking about, like, oh, this is for, for kids or whatever. But honestly, when I was reading this, a, another past episode of The Last Comic Shop that immediately came to mind was when we read what that Jimmy Olsen series that Matt Fraction did just simply because of all of the sight gags, like Easter eggs and like every oh, other yeah. page would just be like another little gag or, or, or funny thing that was going on that like you really had to pay attention and maybe even read the page like three or four times, like almost like uh, looking at a where's Waldo picture because it's like, Oh, you missed this or you missed that. And so I, I feel like some comic book fans that, you know, are too sophisticated might just immediately dismiss this as like that's just kitty's fair but i feel like it really takes skill to write a book like this to make it kind of appealable to not only somebody that's eight nine years old but then somebody like me that's like you know in his 40s oh yeah that is is still just hit at heart and is just wants sometimes a quick read and oh. it goes deep on the Spider-Man lore. Like some of the bad guys that show up, you run the gamut between everybody from the tarantula to the looter to Grizzly. Like there are a lot of deep dives in here, whether it is, you know, cosplayers at the conventions. Um, and there's modern stuff too. Like I saw Boomerang from Superior Foes of Spider-Man pops up in here. That's 60 years of Spider-Man continuity is, you know, lovingly addressed in this miniseries. One question I had for J.A. was, uh, I know back when we read uh, Superman Smashes the Clan, he really liked Gurahiru's art. W what did you think of the art in this particular book? Did you think it was th that same similar style, or what did you think? I thought it fit the storytelling very well. I don't think I liked it as much as I liked it in Superman Smashes the Clan. Um, I don't know why. I, I think it didn't like Spider-Man's legs. <laughs> they look too Miles Morales' legs were very chunky and and yeah, the feet and the, the calf muscles, they they look very big. And I always think of Spider-Man as this lithe creature that's sinewy and long. I guess that's a, a result of growing up in the Todd McFarlane era. That being said, I really liked how they did sort of those double page panel grids. There's that one where Miles is talking to his mom, but jumping all around the city. Oh, yeah. There's a name for those where they show, like, the different character interactions, like, throughout the course and, like, time is going through the panels. Yeah. Uh, but they're really great at those. I wasn't a big fan. What did you think of Thanos? I mean, Thanos is one of your big, big dudes, like... Uh, yeah, it was good. I like the the touches. So, like, the, the Thanos mobile has an infinity gauntlet as its hood ornament. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were a lot of nice little touches that the artist put in at the background or, or what's been added that doesn't take away from the story, but adds a bit more depth. If you're an adult, I think the people who would struggle with this book the most are probably going to be teenagers who mm -hmm. are ready for something more serious. And they'll be like, this is a kid's book. No, so I feel they might, they might have to wait until they have kids of their own and then they'll appreciate it again. Right. For those folks listening to the show that are parents and things like this, I feel like this taps into some of the animated shows. Like again, across the spider-verse or a disney movie where it's, you're like you originally go because you're taking your kids and then you end up like they put all these like little gags and sight things in and you're like oh that's 
that's at me. That's not at the kids. That's at me. Like they're that's I'm the target for that because they know I'm coming. So I think this is a great book to read with your kids. If you're a parent and you're listening to this particular show, buy it for your kids and then sit down and read with them. I think this is one of those books that I think you'll all enjoy. You know, that that's just it's, my take. It has that re readability quotient not unlike something like good night moon where you can read it over and over again and it's very simple on the surface but at the same time there's so much going on in the pictures that every time you read it you pick up something different and you can pick up something different oh look there's the mouse oh look the mouse moved and no the horse the cow is now jumping over the moon and not under the moon and all all these little things yeah what did you think of the fact that spider-man doesn't take off his mask at all Oh, I think that's part of the charm. I just, I love the expressiveness. Anytime artists are given the leeway to play with Spider-Man's eyes for expression purposes. Like, I I love that. I love to see the squints. I love to see the giant, you know, giant-eyed looks. Uh, My favorite, though, had to be the villains and just how the villains interacted with each other. I love seeing the villains at VillainCon. It was such a ridiculous premise. To, to see the intermingling and like all the little petty things that uh, that go on. And then two, you have the convention ears, you know, where they're getting ready to go. And then every- Miles pops in and everybody goes out to chase Miles and destroys the convention. They're like, oh no. And they get everything cleaned up. And then all of a sudden, here comes Thanos back in. <laughs> I just, I, I love it. I've been there. This, this story, it speaks to me on a couple of different levels, but no. I agree. Uh, if you are a teenager, you're probably not going to be digging this one as much, um, unless this is something you, you know, a certain style that you're looking for. Like I said, it's it's a, a gap bridger. You know, a lot of times these movies they come out and you have all these kids that get all excited about these movies, and they go to the comic books. And if you look at the Amazing Spider-Man comics right now, like, yeesh, yeah. I mean, it's not like I personally have been enjoying the storyline. But if you're a kid reading that stuff, it's it's tough to break in. Whereas this is something, you know, you can hand to anybody. Yeah. This is almost a book they should, like, give away for free with your movie ticket. This would be a perfect particular book for that. But in any case, uh, one thing that we, we always give away for free is our ratings. So, Jay, what is our rating scale for this week? One out of four villain con passes. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, we get the villain con press passes, honestly. But J. Jonah only. He, uh, yeah, he, it was, there was no J. Jonah Jameson. I could have used some some press pass. Oh, yeah. press. No coverage of the villain con. He is one of the biggest Google. Spider-Man baddies for him not to be doing some press coverage at the at this event. That seems like a missed opportunity. Any case. Did you not get enough characters in here? Jeez <laughs> Louise. Oh, any case. All right. Uh, we'll start off with J.A. What what did you think? What how many how many press passes you given this? As I said, you have to be in the right mindset, or I think it helps to know what you're getting into when you go into it. When you do that, it's a really fun read. It's something that you can go back and reread again, and you see more in the background. It's as we said, a bit where is Waldo or Goodnight Moon, where you, every time you see, you read it, you see new things, new little bits of the art pop out. So I'm gonna give it. It's it's, it's a solid three and a half. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a lot lower for you. Is it after after? Because it's not one. serious. I need I some serious darkness. <laughs> so, Chad, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to echo Ja. I think this is also a, a three and a half uh, <laughs> press passes. Um, I think it it is tons of fun. What makes my my heart a little bit sad is while I'm talking about this book is a great way to bridge that gap for those little kids that watch into the Spider-Verse and across the Spider-Verse and want Spider-Man stuff, you know, that's a, a little bit higher level than the the basic. At, at the same time, I don't think there's a good book out there that captures the end of the Spider-Verse or across the Spider-Verse spirit in comic book form. It's weird that they've taken uh, those storylines and adapted them in a way where it's accessible to so many more people than what the original storylines they based off of were. And like, there's nothing that captures that coolness. I think in the Spider-Man oeuvre that, uh, that the movies do. And so, yeah, no, I I like this for what it is. This is something I'll share uh, with my, you know, five-year-old and my 11-year-old and my 11-year-old will roll his eyes a little bit, but he'll still kind of enjoy it. And he'll laugh at the jokes. I just wish we had a better, more representative, Spider-Man book to read 
uh, to pair with this movie. Yeah. Well, that was the problem with this week's show. I, I was trying to find a book that was, you know, not only, you know, only a couple issues in length, but I, I really, truly wanted to find a book that not only tapped into that same spirit in terms of artwork, uh, but also was all ages. Because I feel like, as we'll get to in our review later, I think uh, across the Spider-Verse and the pre- predecessor into the Spider-Verse has tapped in to what kind of makes Spider-Man great, that it is kind of an all-ages character, similar to like Superman over at DC. Uh, you know, a very hopeful character, a character that everybody can kind of uh, get behind. So like, that's what I was looking for. And, and this was really the best pick because not only that I think it came from folks with a really good pedigree based on other comic books we've read, but I also just thought that it was colorful and, and, and from a visual perspective, something that, that interested me. So I I wanted to see what it was all about. And I'm really glad that we read it. Uh, I'm going to give this a 3.75, a little bit higher than my co-host. I think this is a very, very good Spider-Man book that you can give anybody I, I would hell, I would even give it to teenagers. I'd just be like, oh, lighten up. Seriously. You think you're so cool? Nah, you know what? This stuff's cool. You know, Gurahiru's art is cool. Mariko Tamaki is cool. I mean, and then I would, you know, say, hey, she also read these other books like Laura Dean, which you can check out. I think and I would say I would say good luck with that with the teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have some pretty good luck with those cool teens. The ones that aren't so self I think I'd be okay with that. I don't wait a minute, know wait, 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 wait. The ones, yes, I, you haven't had teenagers yet. Just wait. The ones I who aren't self-absorbed. A, I uh, say it's a 3.75. I think if you're out there, if you're listening to today's show, I think you should go pick it up. For no other reason than the Spider-Man Venom relationship. We haven't even touched upon that, but that was also another favorite of mine is the fact that like Venom acts like, hey, stay out of my room, older brother guy. It's it's pretty hilarious. He's honestly. the jerk roommate who eats Spider-Man's toast. <laughs> and then says, we're out of toast. <laughs> ah, I just love this book. Any case, uh, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with more Last Comic Shop and uh, some recommendations, which I hope you'll also love. Stay tuned. Hey all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Interruption in progress. Now hijacking into ANS 2.0 immersion rig. Now simulating the amazing nerd show, featuring comics. <laughs> and Batman's like, you're safe here and everything, but the Joker also pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Movies. People fight with lightsabers. What the hell do you want? I mean, you're every. I mean, in every one of these movies, there's a lightsaber battle. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm gonna rewatch it a million times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Give me something more. Wrestling. That would be awesome. Oh my god, just a monster. <laughs> Fans would be like, holy, what the hell's going on? <laughs> what happened to Jericho? Horror. It starts off like any other like home invasion type of story, and then it just goes crazy. And more. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And we are the Amazing Nerd Show. Make sure to download us on all your favorite podcast platforms. What if you could live with your favorite fictional characters and have a place to connect with the best nerdy neighbors and creators out there? Join us on your friendly neighborhood comic show. Every week, we keep hope, give help, and share comics with all. With games, interviews, and more, this isn't your average talk show. It's a living neighborhood. We are honored to be your CBC Comic Book Community Award-nominated Nerdy Neighborhood. So what are you waiting for? Come join the fun and join the neighborhood. It's your friendly neighborhood comic show every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for recommendations. Yes, that time of every single show where we give you other comic books in addition to Peter Parker's plus Miles Morales 
colon Spider-Man double trouble. It's, it's, it's actually Peter Parker ampersand oh, Miles Morales right, understood right. colon oh, Spider-Man colon Regardless, double trouble. Go pick it up. That first colon not <laughs> on the initial covers, yeah. but it is on the in-text indicia. You get to the movie review. All right. So, any case, we're going to start off with J.A. Scott. What J.A., what do you have for recommendations this week? So, I am recommending a single Spider-Man issue from Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 267. This came out in 1987 uh, by Peter David and Bob McCloud. It is The Commuter Cometh. And this doesn't showcase spectacular rogues or goes deep into Peter Parker's guilt over the death of Uncle Ben or Gwen Stacy. No, no, no. This is just a one-issue exploration of Peter Parker in the suburbs. (laughs) And perhaps his over-reliance on the architecture of New York City. What does he do when there are no skyscrapers from which he can web and swing from? It's very much a fish out of water story. Right. Yeah. What what do they what would they call those in um on TV? Aren't those called bottle episodes? It's self-contained, it's what it it's one place and like I think it fits perfectly with this particular episode with other kind of unique and interesting stories that you can tell with the Spider-Man character. I think it gets so bad at one point a kid offers to let him borrow his big wheel. <laughs> Do they still make those, or is that also a product of the eighties? I I'm pretty sure they still make big wheels. Yeah, I think it's it's come all the way around again, where it's like for a couple of years they weren't making them because nobody, and then it was like now it's so old fashioned that it's cool. Regardless, Chad, what's your recommendation? Okay, so my recommendation is for you, buddy, because you love the Spider-Man Venom dynamic, mm-hmm. and so what you need to do is go back and find that first Double Trouble Spider-Man series, Spider-Man and Venom colon Double Trouble from 2019 into 2020. Uh, this is Spider-Man and Venom as roommates. This one also, instead of Miles, it features uh, Ghost Spider, aka Spider-Gwen, pretty heavily. Basically, the Green Goblin is coming after Venom because Venom owes him something, and Venom is abusing Spider-Man as his roommate, and you get all those interactions back and forth, and Venom is throwing his garbage outside into Spider-Gwen's apartment, and she's getting mad, so everything's (laughs) converging, and then there's body switching, and uh, superhero contests, and hilarity ensues. It's another four-issue miniseries. This one was just Mariko Tamaki and Gurhuru. But it it was even more fun than the one we read today. Um, and it also read just as quickly. So, you know, if you if you like the Spider-Man and Miles, you want to see uh, Peter and Gwen along with Venom in there, I recommend going back and picking this one up, too. It's Spider-Man and Venom, Double Trouble from 2019 to 2020. Well, there you go. My recommendation this week is for those teenagers that think they're too cool for school, that don't want to read the Double Troubles. Like Uncle Andy has suggested, I say you go out and you pick up Hulk Gray as part of my summertime reading series. Yes, these are great books that you can pick up and then go sit by the pool and uh, enjoy in that summer sunshine. Hulk Gray is a wonderful six-issue miniseries done by the terrific talents of uh, Jeff Loeb with the late, great Tim Sale doing art. It was part of the... Uh, Marvel color books like uh, Captain America White and Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow, kind of retelling some of the origin stories of some of Marvel's greatest heroes. Uh, Hulk Gray is basically a retelling of issue one of The Incredible Hulk. Dr. Banner first gets pelted by gamma rays and turns into the Hulk. Of course, it's not the Green Hulk. It's the Gray Hulk, which is sometimes my favorite because he's a lot more interesting. But it really tells the story, first interactions between the Hulk and Betty Ross, uh, Thunderbolt Ross, and how those relationships first formed. And I think uh, if you have an opportunity to not only read the book, you should pick it up. But as you're reading the book, make sure that you're checking out one of our favorite podcasts, Short Box Summary. Both Chad and I uh, reviewed this particular book on uh, podcasts with George, who has been on the, at the last comic shop before. So 
Again, uh, you have an opportunity to listen to some bonus material featuring some of the stars of The Last Comic Shop over there in Short Box Summary with Hulk Gray. Yeah, that was a great show. George has tons of fun to work with. Yeah. So if they did Hulk Gray, who got green? Because I would have thought Hulk Green would have been the color <laughs> that he gets. And was Punisher the black one? Did it? Was it Punisher Black? No. Unfortunately, they only did those four. So they never got into X-Men Blue and Yellow. I mean, I guess that's where they, I don't know who else they would do. But um, yeah, it's all based on like their first appearance. So like Hulk's first appearance actually was as Grey Hulk. So. Oh, Grey Hulk, right. Yeah. Silver Surfer, Chrome. They did Silver Surfer Black, which I mean, are we, are we ever yeah. going to read that on this show, J.A.? Come on, man. You have all these picks yeah. and you never yeah. want to do that one. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll do uh, Silver Surfer Black on a future episode of Last Comic Shop. And you can make sure that you don't miss that by rate reviewing and subscribing over at our website www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com as i mentioned there's tons of episodes we already talked about on this week's show you want to read laura dina's keeps breaking up with me and then listen to our show that's there if you want to read superman smashes the clan and then listen to that show it's there all these wonderful episodes all evergreen check it out when you can what great recommendations. That reminds me of our recommendations today from our Peter Parker, Miles Morales, colon, Spider-Man, Double Trouble uh, miniseries. Our recommendations were Hulk Gray, Spider-Man, issue 267, The Commuter Cometh, and Spider-Man and Venom, colon, Double Trouble. And you can find out more about recommendations and things like that by following our social media. Jay, what are the accounts and what can people find there? At Last Comic Shop on various platforms, mostly Twitter. Still around, uh, we've got polls. While we can still do polls every Wednesday, we've got Golden Age covers to tuck you into bed at night unless you're waking up in the morning like me. <laughs> and uh, lots of other stuff. Everything you can, all the links, of course, back on the home base, which is thelastcomicshoppodcast.com. Yeah, sure. And then get merch there. What kind of merch have we got today? Oh, well, if you're going to a villain con, you need a villain con t-shirt. So check it out this week only villain con t-shirts, but also last comic shop podcast t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, everything you need when you're sitting down, sucking into a comic book and listening to the podcast. And also recommendations for villain con would include uh, hygiene essentials like toothpaste, <laughs> uh, deodorant. Maybe uh, assorted powders. Yes. Yes. Stay dry. Stay hydrated. Exactly. Do not be one of those people at the cons that you walk by tables and people like, wow, did you catch a whip? And remember, if you're going to cosplay, think about functionality. You don't want something that takes up both hands. That's right. How are you supposed to flip through all those log boxes? If you're that chainsaw man guy, isn't that the, the popular dude now? Yeah. The chainsaw face dude? You can't flip with chainsaws. No, Think you about can't. It, kids. That's right. Be practical when you're conning this summer. Any case, we hope that you stick around for more of The Last Comic Shop right after this. Until then, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith, and we will be right back after Mikey Wood tries to sell you some stuff. Things to put all these great comic books in. Right? Yeah. You just answer yourself. Yeah! <laughs> hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD. L-C-S-P-O-D today. That's L-C-S-P-O-D. Oh, no, 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 no. As you know, we're still here. It's the last comic shop, and we've got our movie review for you. Thank you so much to Mikey Wood for telling you all about uh, BCW Supplies, where you can get actually 20% off. Yes, 20% off from now until Father's Day using the promo code LCSPOD. So get your comic book supplies and support our show. Any case, it is now time for Across the Spider-Verse. And J.A., who was in this tremendously wonderful animated feature? 
Okay, so Across the Spider-Verse was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson on a script from Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callahan, based, of course, on the Marvel Comics Spider-Man, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. It was produced by a bunch of different people that probably people haven't heard of. It starred... <laughs> Shamik Moore, Haley Stanfield, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, Karen Sony, Daniel Kaluuya, and Oscar Isaac. You as... did not say anything about Andy Samberg. Wait, 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 wait. Ah, spoilers. Uh... <laughs> Should we give uh, spoiler warnings? <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert! That's right. Andy, Andy Samberg is in this movie doing the great voice of Ben Riley. Look at me, I'm so dark and brooding. I laughed out loud. You can ask Chad. I was in a theater full of people and I just lost it. I just absolutely started laughing my ass off because that's Ben Riley. That's Scarlet Spider. That's one of my favorite Spider-Mans of all time. But to your point, Oscar Isaac stealing the show? No, no, that was Spider-Punk. Come on, he stole the show. But Oscar Isaac was uh, Miguel O'Hara. Any case, Chad, why don't you hit us up with that 10 cent synopsis since we, uh, again, started to spoil what happened in this movie? Okie doke. The movie opens up with actually a pretty, pretty long opening all about Ghost Spider, a.k.a. Spider-Gwen, who's living in her timeline and dealing with issues with her dad. Captain Stacy, who is trying to find the killer of Peter Parker, who had turned himself into the lizard. And then he finds out she's Ghost Spider, and then she goes into a portal with all these other spider people. And it turns out that Spider-Man 2099 is running that portal, uh, and he's playing Time Cop, correcting issues with the time stream because of all the multiverse-based malfeasance that's been going on since Into the Spider-Verse five years ago. Uh, which I think is like a year. Well, I don't know how long it is. But anyway, and then we get to Miles, and he's also having issues with his family and is also feeling lonesome, just like Spider Gwen. And so, in addition to fighting the spot and meeting up with Gwen, it turns out Miles is one of those they're multiversal anomalies. Oh, yeah, and all the spiders, man. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of them. We get Bombastic Bagman, Spider Woman. Samurai Spider-Man, Canadian Spider-Woman, Flash Thompson, Captain Spider, maybe really Lady Spider, Mary Jane Parker, Spinnerette. When was she there? I Spider Last Stand, Peter Parker, Earth X Spider-Man, Spider Cop, Spider Armor Mark 1, Mark 2, and Mark 3, Chibi Spider, Ultimate Tarantula, Prince of Arachne, Peter Parker, Spider Rex, Spider Cat, Spider Monkey, Spider Wolf, and Peter Parked Car Spider-Mobile. <laughs> Spider-Buggy. I never knew his name was Peter Parked Car. That was wonderful. That's, I, I, I won't lie. I can't wait for this movie to come out streaming or whatever so that you can pause it at certain points and see if you can pick people out like a Where's Waldo right. kind of thing. I know We've been talking about Where's Waldo a lot on this show. Any case. Yeah, but I, I miss Spinneret. She's one of my favorites, honestly. That, that whole Renew Your Vows timeline with Spider- Spider-Man and Spider-Man's daughter and Spinnerette, and they all have the spider powers. That's one of my favorite, you know, storylines out there with Spider-Man in the last like 20 years. So I think it was started by Dan Slott and then went on to uh, be written by Jerry Conway, who is one of the uh, awesome Spider-Man authors from my youth. Yeah, premier Spider-Man writer, Jerry Conway. That's right. So like, if you have an opportunity, again, that's just a quick recommendation. See if you can find <laughs> those Renew your vows issues, especially the ones done by Jerry Conway. Those were real good. Any case, J.A., he got to see it first. And Chad's like, what do you think? I said that Sony used to be crap and Marvel was the banner leader for these sort of superhero movies. And now, oh, how the tables have turned, my friend. Because Sony <laughs> turn, tables turn. is the only one bringing any sort of interest and action and different and challenging and yet not freaking fan servicey not knocking you over the head with horrible fan service bits yes they yeah. even they even throwed shade at the mcu 
<laughs> where they go, it don't even get me started with Doctor Strange and one nine 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 nine. He yes. messed everything up. You know what? And I was so happy he said that because he he made sure that we all knew that the MCU universe is not the six one six. Please, that's in a comic book. Does not matter. It does too. It, it matters to me. I've been following the damn thing for nearly forty years. It should matter to somebody. Any case, what mattered to me uh, so much? Again, not only was it fan servicey in the right way, but uh, boy, did they really make Miles Morales just the centerpiece of this movie. Not to say that he wasn't an into the Spider-Verse, right? But did they really? I they thought know Gwen, they... Was, Gwen was sort of the centerpiece of this movie. She does carry a heavier load this time than the first one, but this is Miles' movie to carry for sure. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, really, I mean, if I compared this to like Empire Strikes Back because it's the middle of a three-part movie series. It ends on a cliffhanger and the main protagonist is only in the movie for half the time. Oh, Gwen is often in Cloud City and, and stuck on the Millennium Falcon for a while. Miles is off with Yoda and, so and cool. Gwen has got the Hobie hand with him. So, no, I, I have to disagree. I mean, I won't lie. I mean, it, Gwen was really good. And I mean, again, I, one of the nice things about Gwen being in this movie is, again, in her universe, she's Spider-Woman, which is great. Still, seriously, still don't understand why they just don't call her that because, like, they don't need to call her Ghost Spider or whatever. They just call her Spider Woman. Just like there are more than one Spider Man's right now in the Marvel. Why don't you just have more than one Spider Woman? That's fine by me. I, I think that she was there create a lot of the 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 real internal drama that we really felt throughout this movie because again that sexual tension, that romantic. You know, will they, won't they kind of thing between Miles and Gwen throughout the entire was not only incredibly engaging and, and very well acted and very well paced, but it actually mattered. Like it was a it, there was a real reason for it. Well, I was going to say, too, that, that you remember Parallel Lives, and that was about Peter and Mary Jane. In this case, Miles and Gwen are the ones with the parallel lives. They both have the dads that are going to be captain. They both are struggling with these family issues. They're both struggling where they don't feel like there's anybody they relate to but each other and some of these other spider folk. It's it's two parallel tracks coming down the road at the same time. But I think Gwen is also, she's the only Gwen Stacy that's made it. Yeah. In every other universe, you don't have a Gwen. I think that's it's, it's great. Well, one thing I had a question for you, uh, Chad, is as our as our resident Spider-Man fan, right? There are multiple versions of Peter Parker, right? Like there are so many Peter Parkers. In right. fact, at one point, my, um, Miguel O'Hara says, like, you know, the whole reason why Miles is the anomaly is because he was bit by a spider from a different universe, and as a result, that universe never had. A Spider-Man, and therefore this Peter Parker in his universe should have never died. So this means like Peter Parker is kind of like the default Spider-Man in a lot of universes, but the ones that seem to be the most important are the ones that are like specific to one universe. You know what I mean? Like there's only one Spider-Gwen. There's only one Miles Morales. And there's only, it seems like there's only one Miguel O'Hara. There he says there was a universe with him as well. It seems weird that there's like so many Peter Parkers, yet there's only ones of certain people, which kind of makes it really cool that they're the ones that kind of step up and like pick up the slack almost. Well, it, I think that's part of the, the meta commentary that you've got going on in this movie. Where anytime you're dealing with the multiverse, you're dealing with all these different replaceable parts. You know, if you can have infinite options, then no option means anything. Unless it's the only option. Unless it's the only Gwen. Unless it's the only Miles. You you need them to be the only one for it to matter. For it to have that, that impact. Speaking of being the only ones, J.A., favorite version of Spider-Man that's not Peter Parker... That came out of this movie for you, sir. I liked um, Spider-Man India. <laughs> he was wonderful, really, with his hair and like his whole attitude. And um, he, again, I think there there was some real growth with him throughout his little story arc. Oh, yeah. And once again, that's that meta commentary again, where like one of the whole reasons there's an issue here is his version of Captain Stacy gets saved. 
And because that happens, that's ruined the canon. There has to be these certain elements that all these Spider-Men and women have in common. Right. And so that's a really interesting opportunity for Spider-Man India to grow and become develop and become something different. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, did you guys feel like that that was really the focus point of some of the background meta commentary for this entire movie is like the fans out there saying, no, this is what Spider-Man has to be. These are the kind of things that have to happen in his origin story. If you don't have that, then you're not telling the story right. And Miles is like, screw that. Like, I'm telling my own story. So what did you what do you think about that, Jerry? Yeah, well, we haven't had the the classic um great response. Did we get it in the first one? Great power comes with great responsibility. Do we get that in the first one? I don't remember. It was definitely not in this one. Yeah, he didn't get the so I mean it took the MCU Spider-Man three movies and they had to bring back a bunch of old spider guys just to get to that with great power comes great responsibility bit right so maybe we'll get it in the third one here i don't know (laughs) how they do it because i'm going back to this is the best superhero movie i've seen in a very long time probably since the first spider-verse movie so much better than the mcu spider-man's like different plane better and i thought those were good and now i don't think those are so good not only is this elevated itself it has diminished the other spider verse movies i'll argue with you on that one i i don't think this diminishes uh no way home because i still love that movie the fact that they were able to do those things with those live action actors and make everything work did they fudge some of the things absolutely but i i don't think this diminishes it but what this does it just made me mad at a whole bunch of other people for not being as good. <laughs> like First and foremost, Zack Snyder, who the best thing about Zack Snyder is occasionally he's able to put in those comic book panels and people are like, look, that's a, that's a scene out of the comic. Oh, he's such a great cinematographer. Watch Across the Spider-Verse. Not only do they take panels, they take entire styles, artistic styles filled with color and flash. They spent an entire you know chunk of this film in a world that's styled after the Robbie Rodriguez Spider-Gwen comics. Uh, you know, put Zack Snyder on notice. You know, Dan Slott, Mr. No One Dies, which is the dumbest freaking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> in this movie, you get a version of No One Dies, but a version that makes sense and is true to the Spider-Man ethos, where you have Miles saying, I'm not going to not rescue somebody. You know, we do both. We find a way to do both. You know, and it, it made sense. Also, by the way, Dan Slott, great idea guy. You know, he's very proud of coming up with the Spider-Verse idea, which may or may not have come from the Spider-Man cartoon first, but whatever. But his Spider-Verse is all built around the Spider-Totem and Morlin. And look at this movie. Look at the plot of this movie. Everyone, even the bad guys, have motivations that are noble. You know, you have Miguel O'Hara who wants to protect all these different worlds, and he's trying to maintain the canon of these different universes so that worlds aren't destroyed. You have Miles Morales who's bucking the trends. He's bucking what's come before. He's going to find his own way to do things. You have a morally conflicted Peter B. Parker with his daughter that he's taken around in tow. She's got her superpowers. Oh my goodness. Plus you got Mary Jane. And oh, she's looking cute as a button. Oh man. Why can't I fit that in the comic? Damn it. That's because this movie does all of those things so well. And you want to talk about references? There's so many references. There's so many poses. There's so many artists. There's so many different cartoon appearances from the Spider-Man Unlimited cartoon that nobody remembers from the 90s. Like, everybody's in there, and they manage to do that all while telling a story that is so frenetic and so fast-paced and mixes up so many different animation styles and still manages to have a story that's grounded in family and acceptance and that whole theme they talked about in the first Spider-Man movie that it could be anyone behind the mask. And it's, oh, there's so much going on here. I can't sing the praises of this movie enough, except for the fact that it had a cliffhanger ending, and I'm going to have to watch it 35 times. Oh, hit the nail on the head. It's the it's Empire Strikes Back. It is, yes. uh-oh, the plot point before Act 3. Like, that's happens. Like, no. that's so you, you know what that Come means? On. That means we're going to get some murder bears. They're coming. <laughs> Look out for the murder bears. So according to uh, various sources, Justin Thompson confirmed that the film has 280 variations of Spider-Man. 95 of them are unique and named characters. I want to know the mall cop Spider-Man. 
that I kept on seeing with the big paunch <laughs> with his uh, dad yeah. bod and what is it that Paul Blart? Yeah, Paul Blart. He needs one of those <laughs> Paul, uh Paul Blart, cop. But this wasn't even just that. It's all Spider-Man. It's all the cartoon Spider-Man. They pop into the Venom universe for a minute. They go to his bodega and talk to the, yes, the Venom. Which, which I thought was new, but that's just archival footage that they used. A lot of that oh. stuff. I, they though we do get uh Donald Glover shows up. I was going to say prowler. that was new. That, <laughs> that was new. So I don't get that. I, why did he? Why was he the Prowler eventually? Because oh. he was the Prowler. All right, time out. So this goes back to uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. Donald Glover was campaigning to be Spider-Man, and there was a big, huge backlash on the internet. Like, how could an African American person be Spider-Man? Spider-Man's a white guy from Queens, and blah 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 blah. And so that actually indirectly led to the inspiration that Brian Bennis had to create an Afro-Latino Spider-Man because Brian Bendis has several, uh, you know, adopted children of different backgrounds. And he wanted to show that anybody could be Spider-Man. Anybody could be behind that mask. Now, fast forward to the first Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. And who does he bust in that movie? But Donald Glover, Donald Glover, who references his nephew, Miles. Oh, right. While we haven't seen the MCU live action Miles, we have seen live action Donald Glover, who becomes the Prowler, just like in the uh, Ultimate Universe comics and in I the see. first Spider-Man I completely forgot about that from, from Homecoming, honestly, because they just never did anything with it. Well, they did it here. <laughs> they did it all here. They saved it here. Just like the the third Spider-Man MCU saved Andrew Garfield and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, this one saved the MCU movie. Well, thank you for explaining that deep cut, because I just was like, oh, I kind of got the meta commentary about why Donald Glover was there. But I was just like, why do they call him? Oh, okay, fair enough. Any cases, time for our ratings of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, and Jay, what is our one of a four scale for this? So we are going to go with one out of four members of the Spider Society. Oh, wow. The Spidey Squad? Squad, the Super Spidey Club. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go first. It's going to be easy. I'm just going to give this a four. This has been the best movie comic book wise that I've seen this year. I mean, I, I may have given these guys grief before about like, oh, the MCU is just another comic book movie. And why are you wanting these things to be perfect? And and I still agree with that. Like for the most part, these movies are just movies. And so like you go to see them or you don't see them or whatever. But this one, this one's a gem. It's a treasure It from the animation style. Uh, again, there's something about comic books being adapted into animation which seems so much better to me than comic books to live action. I think it's like one step too far, whereas comic books and animation, they're, they're brother and sisters. So they, they make sense and they, they kind of follow the same rules a lot of the time. So like for me, it is always going to be a better representation of the thrill I get from reading comic books when I see a good animated comic book movie or TV show or what have you. But just, I, I loved everything. And I love the fact that Peter B. Parker got Mary Jane and his daughter. Mayday, that's right. Spider-Girl. Yeah. And Pat, Pat Olaf and Ron Friends and all those wonderful guys that came up with that all that wonderful Spider-Girl stuff. It, she's there. And she pulls out her little mask. I thought that was adorbs. Adorbs. And I got Ben Riley, and that was great too. And the spot was truly terrifying. Well, that's something we haven't brought up at all. We haven't talked about the spot and like how they utilize his power set. We've been talking about the different animation styles, but I, I don't think we've sung the praises of it enough because like when the vulture comes in and you have like what is that medieval Italian vulture, like Leonardo da Vinci vulture, and he's drawn in his own different, almost like a sketchy pencil style. You know, that's how that character's animated the entire time. But you get Spot, and he's the perfect villain for this style of movie, this frenetic madcap, because he has that Looney Tune-like ability. And then played up with that whole sad sack, Jason Schwartzman voice. You're laughing at him, you're laughing at him. Miles is laughing at him. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. He's a bigger deal than that. You know, he's going to cause some serious trouble. 
And wow. I love I love his character design too. He's essentially an unrealized character. He's drawn as you would draw the beginning of a comic book where you just circle mm-hmm. out the head and the torso and the legs and the arms, but you don't start to define it or fill it in. So it's just got some reference lines. Yeah, I was going to say, when he goes inside himself, you see the rest of those reference lines, the little sketchy parts for, for his arms. and Yeah, I can't sing the praises of this enough. Like, it just does so many things well. Like I said, it it made me angry at other people. I'm like, no, Dan Slott, this is how you do this. Brian Bendis, this is how you make things snappy. I saw he got his name on the uh, producer's credit for this, too. Oh. Number one, Bendis did. There's just so much about this to love. With all that said, I still think... I prefer the first one. Ooh. I would I would put Into the Spider-Verse above this one solely because I felt like that was a more complete movie. This one, it's contingent on, you know, them following through with the next half. The stakes are high. The expectations are super high. But, like, this movie is not an animated movie. This movie is art. This movie is doing things in film with real-life people, not AI-generated things. It is just artful in every way, from the storylines that capture that heart, that capture that emotion, that capture the essence of these characters, through the varied animation styles that are doing so many different things at once, through all the crazy madcap ideas with the spot pulling things out of the hammer version, where cartoon people steal things. And by the way, I can't wait for more Spider-Ham in the next one. Um, Managed to have a movie with how many Spider-Men, J.A.? Uh, it was a 280. 280 different spider characters appear in this movie. Well, including I'm not gonna... Lego Spider-Man. We didn't That's mention great. Lego Spider-Man. Loved it. Oh, and th- how did I not bring up the greatest casting of all time? Returning game in this movie to serve as the voice of like three different characters. It's J. Jonah Jameson portrayed by J.K. Simmons. And he's there in the Lego verse. His, his fingerprints are all in there. There's so much about this to love. So yeah, it's obviously a four. I, I honestly think this is, it, it is transcending animation. It's transcending superhero movies. They are doing things, Lord and Miller and, and company, the thousands of other people that are working along with them. They're doing things with these movies that are just unprecedented and beyond impressive. All right, J.A., how are you going to top that? Well, you can't top it. It's a four. It's obviously a four. It's so beautiful. Each of the worlds are completely realized in different art styles. I think there's six, six distinct worlds that they show off. And then, as you said, I can't wait for this to be out on home media so you can pause and go back and and pick up things that you might have missed the first time. For example, uh, Miles Morales's roommate at school i'm not your guy in the chair while he's playing the playstation version of spider-man <laughs> yeah, that was a nice little and that's he's ganky whereas the guy in the mcu movies it looks like ganky is ned leads he wants to be the guy in the chair <laughs> so many things going on here yeah it's just great i i will admit when it came to the end and i was looking at my watch i'm like i don't think this is ending i i don't see how they tie this up very quickly in the next couple of minutes and then it goes to be continued i was like two and a half hours to not tell the end of the story what it was abrupt too but then i thought well maybe it's it's a bit like uh empire so empire was like though empire had a bit more of a sort of it felt like a pause this just felt like they just stopped the movie (laughs) not unlike the fast x movie that came out very recently also just ended very abruptly so you're like we gotta wait till 2024 for this thing to come off by the way this movie also with a runtime of 140 minutes is the longest animated film ever produced in the united states wow it was so fast-paced and so frenetic it did not feel like it was a two hour plus movie and we went to the late showing too and i didn't expect to stay awake the whole time <laughs> i did well i'm just hoping that again it sticks the landing we're not i'm not going to give it a contingent for her, but like it, it better stick the landing it better not be a return of the jedi where like the first like half an hour is awesome because it's all the buildup of what happened to han solo and so that's why everyone loves that the stuff at Jabba's palace because they're like that was the story we wanted to see resolved now we got it resolved and we're like ah who cares there's murder bears that's another group of people this movie made me mad at 
Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is always going back and rehashing these ideas. This movie shows you how you can go back and acknowledge and rehash some of those ideas, but in a way that's being propelled forward in a brand new story. So suck it, Star Wars fans. Hired Lord and Miller from Solo? Look at your mistake and oh, wallow in misery. With the Ron Howardness and the I enjoyed I, a solo story? Yeah. It's nowhere close to this quality. <laughs> Suck it, Star Wars. Oh, yeah, because this one you could actually see. It was colorful. It was bright. <laughs> Unlike That's the solo right. story, it's like, can I turn up the brightness a little bit? It's so not only that. All right. They didn't have Vision sitting in a room for the entire movie. They went all across the multiverse. Okay, that's this is not a Star Wars podcast. In any case, that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. That is actually all the time we had for Movie May. This was the last episode of our Movie May for 2023. We will have some more movies coming up the rest of the summer. We're just not going to call it that. But we're going to be here for the Flash movie. We're going to be here for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. We're going to be here for Blue Beetle. And I'm sure J.A. is going to at least hate one of those three. Any case, we hope that you don't hate The Last Comic Shop. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. And we hope that you come back. So in the Spider-Verse, when Miles and Gwen are sitting there talking, are they upside down or is the world upside down? Oh, it's a metaphor. Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.